if someone wants to get started with integrated marketing solutions, what are the first things they need to consider? How do they go about it? The first thing I would do is look at your brand. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas from Entrepreneur on Fire. You're listening to my friend, Ash Roy. Welcome to the Productive Insights Podcast, where you can learn how to systemize, automate, and scale your business via the internet. To access previous episodes and useful productivity tips, go to ProductiveInsights.com. Now, here's your host, Ash Roy. Welcome to ProductiveInsights.com. This is Ash Roy. When you decide to take your business to the next level through good quality business coaching and actionable online strategies, head over to ProductiveInsights.com and book a free 30-minute consultation with me. Hello, everyone. Today, I'd like to invite a very accomplished entrepreneur who's been very successful in the online marketing space, and he's the co-founder of Raven Tools. Mr. John Henshaw. John has been involved with website development since early 1995 and Raven Tools is an online marketing management and reporting platform which helps you make take your business to the next level. It helps you focus on the SEO you love, not the grunt work you don't, and improve your content marketing with better analysis. So in short, it helps you be much more productive as an online marketer by using his integrated marketing software. So welcome, John. Hey, thank you for having me. That was a great intro too. I like hearing about the software like that. So <laughs> thank you. It's a pleasure to have you, John. Let's just start off by just getting a very quick overview on your journey so far. You started back in 1995. You've been around for a long time and uh, you started off mainly with SEO and then you've moved into more integrated marketing solutions for businesses to really help them take their business to the next level. So let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so we used to be an agency and we used to provide SEO services among many other things and we had created some online tools as sort of link bait, particularly back in the day when it was really easy to you know build link bait and then just kill it in the SERPs. Um, and so it worked really well for us, except for they became so popular because we were giving them away that it started to cost us a lot of money. And so we had to figure out a way to, you know, we either we have to get rid of these things or we have to find a way for SEOs who are notorious for not liking to spend a lot of money to pay us for these particular tools. And so that's where Raven was born. And Raven originally was a reporting platform for SEOs and it was also a centralized sort of link management tool. So you could have a team of link builders who could be in the same office or all over the world and they would be able to be working on the same software and everything is in one place. And so that solved a lot of our problems as an agency and it also solved a lot of problems for agencies around the world. Mm -hmm. So that's what we were really known for and it used to be called Raven SEO Tools. However, we started to see this trend kind of even before most people saw it. It was sort of just kind of looking at, you know, I think this is where things are going, we saw this trend with different marketing agencies and, and places that say were traditionally print were starting to take on some more digital marketing. Places that were just doing digital marketing were taking on more of the traditional branding. And I mean, it was all of these different sort of areas of marketing were starting to cross over, which, and that's basically what we would call integrated marketing is, is uh, all of these different channels that you can do when you market your particular service or product. And so we wanted to make sure we were, were well positioned for that. And that's when we started transitioning the software into being able to do certain services, but mainly report on social campaigns, starting to report on paid campaigns. And so it really just kind of opened it up a bit further than just an SEO focus into more of an integrated marketing focus so that somebody who's doing all of these things and is using multiple channels to do their marketing 
would be able to come to Raven and be able to view everything and, and run a report on all of the different places that they were trying to market. Hence the term integrated marketing solution. Yep, pretty much. Awesome. So that is still the case today. Raven is still doing very much a complete holistic view of marketing for a business, but at the same time, giving them depth into any particular discipline that they want to get access to. Right. Yeah, correct. It is used by thousands of agencies and in-house marketing departments all over the world. They use it to uh, basically tap into all these different services, like including AdWords and so on, to be able to view how those campaigns are going and then be able to easily just report on them. And they send them to their clients, they send them to their managers, they make them for themselves, use them even as sort of like a dashboard so they can just kind of see how well their campaigns are going in all the different areas. Okay. I wanted to touch on content marketing because that's something that's very close to my heart. And I know that uh, when I interviewed Chris Garrett from Copyblogger, we talked quite a lot about it. I noticed that content marketing also appears on your website as one mm-hmm. of the things you guys discuss. Could you tell me a little bit more about what you guys do in the content marketing space? Yeah, we've kind of only delved into sort of the management side. There is a section called the content section and you can connect your WordPress sites and you can view those particular posts and you can add posts and you can push everything directly from Raven. One thing that's actually been used a lot is we've we've had integration with TextBroker for a while so you can actually order content. So we would have a lot of agencies that, particularly in the past, that would order a lot of content, say, for the entire month for their client. Yeah, And then they would schedule, once they get articles back and they kind of tweak them, then they would schedule them all inside of Raven and then push that out to WordPress. However, I would say in regards to the way content's really used inside of Raven, it has more to do with Google Analytics and reporting. And so what most people do is they're using our connection with Google Analytics to be able to uh, track events and activity that they set up, the top performing content the content that converts the best, that type of thing, and then they're able to run reports on that. That's probably the biggest usage that our customers use Raven for. So very much around analytics around the content and what's working mm-hmm. and what's not. Exactly. So they, they can get insightful data and they can make better decisions on what to write next or what what tactics are working the best. And does that take into account things like you know keywords that Google is highly ranked at the moment? So it's hard to do that with, with Google Analytics data because you're going to get 99% not provided. Yes. Uh, <laughs> However, I mean, so it's a little hard to do it with that. However, we do integrate with Google Webmaster Tools. And so we have a rankings tool that actually brings in the search query data from Google Webmaster Tools. And we bring it in every day and we actually store it on our system, which is something that they actually don't do. They only store it for so long. We store it indefinitely. And so you can always go back historically cool. and see how things you know, have risen or gone down, that type of thing. Cool. Yeah. Okay, let's talk a little bit more about if someone wants to get started with integrated marketing solutions, what are the first things they need to consider? How do they go about it? The first thing I would do is look at your brand. Make sure you have a good brand. And when I say that, I mean in a lot of different ways. A brand can be visual. And so is your brand something that is memorable? Does it look professional? Does it relate to what it is that you're selling or your service that you're providing? Does it make sense? Is it appealing? And brand also means style. I mean, it, it means not just your logo, but I was uh, what are your colors? Exactly yeah. yeah, what what is what is the tone that you use when you write and you communicate with other people? So brand is a lot of things, and it's beyond just that logo type of thing, but it's extremely important before you go out into the world of integrated marketing and 
and try to do all the things. Otherwise, what, what happens is, is if you don't have a good brand, it makes you forgetful. It, if you use different channels in integrated marketing, mm -hmm. potential customers aren't going to connect the two to yeah. your brand because it's not cohesive yes. or it looks cheap, you know, so it doesn't look trustworthy. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I say, you know, address your brand first. And then I would say the next thing after that is you don't want to go to a conference or read a book or whatever and just do exactly what day is and go do these things. Instead, you need to look at your business as something that's very unique and is not like every other business. You can certainly look at similar businesses and see what's working for them, but you need to have your own clear strategy of what it is you're trying to accomplish. And if you're trying to sell a specific product, if you're trying to sell a, a bunch of things, you're trying to just get emails. I mean, whatever it is that is your business model mm -hmm. that is ultimately going to make you money, that's what you need to build your strategy around because, you know, one strategy is not right for all companies. And so find out what your business goals are and then build your strategy around that. So that's, that's kind of what I would throw out. Absolutely. I, I completely agree with what you're saying. Your brand is much more than your logo, which is often a misconception out there. The way I see a business's brand is the face that they present to the world. And it includes your positioning. It includes the way you present yourself in the form of content. As you said, the colors that you choose. It's just essentially the face that you present to the world. Right. And, and I think that it has to be aligned with your core strategy. It has to be aligned with the core messaging that you have in your business. And mm -hmm. so that's a great place to start. So that's very good advice. There's something that is very interesting to me as well, and that is the importance of understanding the future direction. And I know that from having listened to previous podcasts of yours, that is something that an area that you're very interested in. So is there a way a business can be more aware and, you know, try and make themselves more astute when it comes to future proofing their brand? Yeah, that's interesting because what you kind of get into is SEO is a really good place to offer some examples. And so Unfortunately, their SEO kind of gets a bad name because there are a lot of people out there yeah. who are doing a lot of things that, that are not only ineffectual, but also can harm them. Yeah. And if you are just starting out and you're a small business, you don't really know a whole lot about SEO. You've only been told that you need it. And because you don't have a whole lot of money to spend, you end up going with the person who is the cheapest and makes the best sales pitch. Mm -hmm. And what you end up doing is you hire somebody who ends up doing all the wrong things for you and you kind of fall flat. And, and the reason why that relates to future proofing is because you can easily destroy your domain with those particular tactics, you know, and not be able to recover from that. And so I think when I've talked about future proofing in the past, it had a lot to do with, I think, generally creating a good user experience. And it's funny because, I mean, everything is pretty much because of Google, I mean, for good and bad, has, has all kind of converged onto do you have a strong brand and is the user experience, the experience when that person visits your site and interacts with it, is it positive? It's not even necessarily are they even clicking on a call to action. What's your dwell time? What do they do when they interact with your site? And mm -hmm. these are all things that Google has ways of analyzing and knowing. And so, again, back in relation to SEO, it really comes down to stay away from gimmicks. Mm -hmm. Stay away from cheap services and don't do things that just because you learned it, again, from a book or from some yeah. conference or whatever, if you don't like it, then probably many other people visiting your site don't like it. That's I mean, a lot, of, a lot of times you can be the best judge of that. And if you think this feels kind of spammy, even though they said that's the only way you're going to get a lot of email addresses, well, you may want to not do that. 
<laughs> because if you don't do that spammy thing, the result actually could be more loyalty to mm-hmm. your brand and more repeat visits because they like compared to your competitors, they prefer to go to your site more and you have more repeat visits and you have more opportunity to show ads and you have more opportunity to push your product, your ebook, get their email, that type of thing in a way that is, I would say, kind of more inviting. And it's probably going to be somebody who's going to stick with your brand a lot longer because mm-hmm. you didn't annoy them. Yeah. So a lot of it is around user experience. It's providing content that's not crappy and hastily written It's Mm -hmm. providing content that they would actually want to share or bookmark or come back to things that are just very, very useful to them. It's creating tools. You know, maybe they can find a developer who's affordable, who can just make a really cool calculator or tool that makes that person want to come back or tell another person like, hey, Mm -hmm. go use this. They have a really great tool that does such and such. Those are all things that have worked since you know, even before Raven existed for us. I mean, all those different type of tactics are great tactics to build your brand and to get people to become loyal to it. So what I'm hearing is it's very important for a business to think along the lines of integrity, long-term value, and don't go for this black hat stuff, you know, Don't go for the latest trend, the latest fad. Think about what you're doing. Think about how the user will experience what you're doing and be a a good internet citizen. (laughs) Right. Well, well, you know, I think of these sites where you go to them and there's a thing coming down on the bottom and then all of a sudden there's a pop-up or, you know, a modal window that uh, goes in there. And then you've got this thing down here and then you got something else flashing and it's just like you're just bugging the user and they're having such a horrible experience. And you think because it's happening on this site that now has this established brand and, you know, even like really big brands and big sites that that Mm -hmm. is somehow good or helping them when in fact, what's really happening, they're in the process of destroying their brand because the upper management is like, we have to squeeze more money out of the site. We have Mm -hmm. to meet our next quarter's goals. Hmm. And they're just trashing the site. And what are those users going to do? They're going to think twice about going back there. Going, a lot of them are going to bounce back out to the search results. Mm-hmm. And basically, that's an opportunity for you, if you're competing in that space, to offer a better user experience. Hmm. And so all of this takes patience, of course, and it's hard to rank. None of the things that we're talking about are easy to do as far as to even get that traffic, and particularly organically. However, I'll even throw out that you know one of the best pieces of advice I think that I give people who are just starting out is to have zero ads on their site. Establish the strength of your brand, establish trust, provide really good content so you hook them. Mm -hmm. And then after the fact, consider ways to monetize. But I I never recommend people who are particularly just starting out, and obviously I'm talking about more publishers and somebody selling a product or a service, Mm -hmm. to even attempt to monetize what they're doing until they have become established. So what would you define as established when they've got to, say, 10,000 visitors a month or something? Or So that's up to their own goals. I mean, in other words, for a certain site, 10,000 would be great, but to others it would be a failure. And so it really also depends on, you know, if their goal is to get 50,000 email addresses on, you know, legitimate email addresses for a newsletter and their way of monetizing that is they know that they have enough interested advertisers that will pay X amount for this type of audience and that's how they're going to make money, then that's their goal. And of course, then after they meet that goal, they would set another goal, which would be Mm -hmm. now I want to grow to 100,000 so I can, you know, so-and-so. So So I, I think the best approach has to do with being realistic about, how big your even potential audience is yeah. and then taking sort of those small steps and saying, okay, so my goal for the next couple of months or for this quarter is to 
focus on, in fact, I can even use ourselves as an example as far as Raven. I mean, mm-hmm. we've had quarters where we go, you know what, our main goal and everything we're going to focus on is to increase conversions or our main goal and everything we're going to focus on is to increase signups. So there might be a certain number we're trying to get at. Right. And then once, you know, you make improvements and you test and try things and you feel really good about that, then you can move on to, to something else and set a different goal. But it's, it really is going to be different for everybody. I, I know that I've had sort of side projects and I've only focused on say Facebook and because it was a publishing site, content based site, Mm -hmm. I was running tests and writing content and testing different titles and testing different images that go with them, Mm -hmm. testing different subject matter, uh, just the article itself to find out who responds best Mm-hmm. to all those different things. And so I had a goal of I want to get a thousand likes on my, on that particular page. Right. Um, and I want to see how well, you know, that does. Or I also had a goal of trying to find out uh, on Facebook when I pick this particular target mm-hmm. audience, my goal is to get a thousand emails and right. you, know, you test and you change and you tweak and you, you keep doing, you know, what works, you do more of what works until mm-hmm. you reach that goal. And then usually that goal, like I said earlier, is associated with something, you know, monetary. So it's mm-hmm. sort of like, I know that if I can reach this goal, that I can make this amount of money from this advertiser. Right. And actually, you touched another really important point that is related to success online and, you know, branding in general, but success in particular, and that is testing. I think, you know, if you're going to take on any endeavor, then make sure that you test it on a small scale before you go and do it on a large scale and keep reassessing your success, keep reassessing the customer experience. Ultimately, it all comes back to the customer experience that you're willing to deliver and the way you find out more about that is through testing. Right. And it reminds me that that's also one of the the most common sort of challenges or mistakes that people make. I mean, just unintentionally, just it kind of happens because they don't know about it is they don't set up any type of tracking or attribution. And so they're basically, you're running blind. Mm-hmm. And, and so, for example, we have this site called GA Config that lets you set up event tracking and lets you set up uh, campaign variables for your links that you would you know place on social media and that type of thing. A lot of people aren't doing any of those things. And if you aren't doing them, you have no idea how effective your campaigns are. So, for example, I'll switch over to sort of an affiliate marketer. Mm-hmm. If my strategy was publishing content and the way I plan on monetizing is through affiliate programs, so yeah. writing really good content, pulling them in, and getting them to click on that link and hopefully buy it, then one of the things you definitely, definitely want to do is you want to have uh, what's called an event mm-hmm. that is attached to that link. Yeah. So anytime you have an affiliate link, it's not just that it's an affiliate link, there's also a little uh, thing you add there that... When somebody clicks on it, it will record on Google Analytics that somebody clicked that particular link. And so you can keep track of how effective your content is and if people are actually clicking on that. And if they aren't, then you're going to want to try something different. Uh You're going to want to try to link to it a different way or bring attention to it in a different way Uh or write different content for it that is going to draw the right people who would be interested in clicking on that and purchasing that. You would have no idea about that if you didn't have that event on that link. And so figuring out how to do attribution and, and doing this campaign variables are really important. So GA config, like Google Analytics, GA config, yep. I think it's .com or .org, we have both, will take you to a really simple site and you just paste your link or you plug in whatever it is you're doing and it'll just give you the code and you can throw it on your site. Okay. And is that a free service? Is that a paid service? Yeah, yeah it's a standalone free site. Oh, it's, fantastic. It's, 
Yeah, it's been out there for a while, and okay. uh, I think we updated it about a year ago for Universal Analytics, cool. but that I use it. I mean, I will occasionally, what I call, do Weekend Warrior stuff, yes. uh, you know, because I'm mainly all Raven all the time, but a Weekend yes. Warrior thing would, because I'm in SEO and I like dabbling in affiliate stuff, I'll, I'll build out a whole blog or a whole site, and I'll go to GA Config and cool. use it to set up all my links. Okay, so let's step back a little bit more into the integrated marketing discussion. What are the main challenges you've seen with businesses or individuals when they come to implementing integrated marketing in their business and how have they overcome those challenges? You know, we kind of touched on it a little bit when we were discussing testing and things like that. And and when I talked about how a lot of times people will just read something or hear something and they'll just do that and think that's it. And really, it's one of those things where there's a lot of choices out there. There's a lot of ways, unfortunately, that you can spend and waste your money without getting a whole lot of results. And so what I recommend is that companies start small mm-hmm. and they try out a lot of different things to see. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like fishing. I mean, you try out a lot of different things until you kind of see things where you're getting nibbles or you're getting catches. Yep. And so the example I gave with Facebook earlier with boosting and sponsored content, mm-hmm. you know, don't do anything huge. Don't spend a huge amount of money, but do a really targeted campaign. I mean, Facebook's really good at allowing you to choose very specific demographics. Mm-hmm. And so you can take a piece of content or several pieces of content and promote them, boost them, and and test them just on that targeted audience. You should test things like, you know, StumbleUpon has a paid service where you can come in. And, and what's funny is, is StumbleUpon has the power to get a lot of people to stumble it or like it in a mm-hmm. way, but it may not result in quality traffic. So you have, in other words, if your goal is for somebody to then give you your email or whatever, it may not end that well for you. And so right. if you're just coming in, you're going, you know, I'm going to try StumbleUpon, I'm going to try Facebook, I'm going to try this, and I'm going to try guest blogging in a way that's apparently acceptable to Google. However, you, you might want to go about doing that. Yes. You know, there's all kinds of different things. I might try even print, but I'm going to have a special link on there that's like a shortened link that if I were to see what the full link is. It has that campaign variable. So I know that this flyer or this thing I mailed or this conference I sponsored that I gave a handout to, I'll know that you know every time people use that link, it'll get recorded and mm-hmm. I'll know how effective that is. Mm-hmm. I would just try all kinds of different things. It's good to try a newsletter. So find a site that has thousands of subscribers, find out if you can sponsor it and try it out and make sure that, again, the links that are in there are trackable and do your best to not spend a lot of money, but try a bunch of different things. And what you're going to end up with is for your particular site, for your particular product or service or whatever it is that you're selling or trying to get traffic for, it'll be obvious what works and what doesn't and what drives the the most business. And then as you learn that, then put more of your efforts into that. Pay-per-click is a really good example. So mm-hmm. that's one thing I haven't really talked about. With pay-per-click, it's the same type of thing. Pay-per-click, proper pay-per-click is testing different keywords, testing different landing pages. Mm-hmm. And and then evaluating the results of that, and you will see clear winners. And so then what you do is you get rid of all of the ones that don't perform, yep. and, and then you build off the ones that are performing and see if you can make that better, and you test those against each other. And eventually, if, if it's being done well, you're making money. You know, If you're spending $10,000, you are hopefully making twelve dollars or $15,000. So you are obviously making yep. a profit off of that. And then you grow that 
as much as you can spend because of as much as you can make. So, you know, you finally get to a point where eventually it'll top out and you can't spend anymore yes. or you're losing money. Yes. But you find that sort of happy place. So a lot of it is just trial and error. It's testing and, and it's, you know, and part of the integrative marketing approach is it's not just digital. Uh-huh. It's not just online. It can also be print. It can also be in person. Uh-huh. You can even track the effectiveness of telephone numbers. Uh-huh. You know, you can pretty much go across the board and you should try and dabble in everything and do not, unless you want to lose money, do not sign long-term contracts. You yes. know what I mean? Because when you're starting out and you, you're like, yeah, I need to do such and such, don't overcommit your resources uh-huh. towards this one thing before you even know if it works. And if somebody is trying to get you to completely commit to something, then I would see that as a red flag. Mm. So at least for your marketing budget. So it sounds very much like you know, a recurring theme in what you're saying is start with small chunks, see what works and follow what works. Don't just, you know, try and full plunge, you yeah, know, plunge into something. into something. You mentioned Facebook and I did an interview with Ralph Burns from Dominate Web Media. I'm going to do another one with Keith Cranks, Keith Cranks, who's the other founder of Dominate Web Media, who's a Facebook specialist. And they talked a little bit about custom audiences, which I think are quite useful to do a little bit of testing around what works and what doesn't. Facebook ads are also reasonably good. I know Facebook's getting expensive, but it's a fairly good way to get some kind of feedback on what content or what ideas will work and what ideas won't. Yeah, I'm definitely not a Facebook expert, but I've dabbled and tested enough on my own projects to have an opinion on it, mm-hmm. you know, as far as what worked and what didn't. The thing that's really interesting with Facebook and the experiences I've had is you have these assumptions mm-hmm. about the content that you're sharing, particularly towards the targeted group or you say custom audience, but tar- you know, your target mm-hmm. audience um, or demographics that you're picking. And it's just funny because there were so many times that I was shocked at how either well something did yes. or how poorly it did. Yes. And even shocked just gangbusters awesome. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, well, I'm, I'm going to capitalize on this and I'm right. going to write a similar article and it was just like bombed. And I'm like, oh, what is it? Like, what is it that was different yes. and trying to figure that out? But what I can say overall is that it does work if you can, like I said, test and refine down to the things that, particularly what I was going for, I wanted to get organic results. So, mm-hmm. so the golden place with Facebook, particularly with their boosted content, is obviously you don't want to pay Yes. For all the views, uh-huh. you want to be boosting content that they will automatically share with the yes. rest of their network. The golden place, at least for me, and I think it was good, was the best performing content was literally about half and sometimes more organic uh-huh. compared to the paid views. Right. And anytime I got that, it was like, that was a pretty successful piece of content that I boosted. And I'm going to take all the qualities of that and try to apply that to future content because that's when you, you bring out the inner SEO in me, yes. you know, which is like, I don't want to pay for this. Yes. <laughs> you know, nobody wants to pay for it, but SEOs in particular do not want, they really like the free traffic that they can get from Google. So, so it's really about being like the mad scientist who wants to figure out that. The exact combination that is going to work and go with that. And actually, you know, maybe Facebook is following a similar path as to Google because even with Google, the better you are at creating content and the better you are at advertising, the less you end up paying. They reward your efforts as much as, you know, right. you can offset the cost by creating really good value content and creating a good brand and so on and so forth. Right. I mean, in Google's case, they're more or less starting to steal the content. But <laughs> but yeah, for now, Facebook sort of is, I don't know. I mean, 
maybe I'm jaded now for doing this so long, but I just, I just see the path of every single social network and search engine of just ultimately wanting to screw over the marketer. But, yeah. um, and I get it. I mean, if I were Google, I'd be like, yeah, it's a great idea. I can, <laughs> you know, or, you know, Facebook's in it to make money. So Which I get brings it. me to this, another really important point, And that is, you know, use social media to advertise your content, but have your content on your own online real estate, which is your website. Don't oh, build on Facebook and all the other social networks. There are some businesses that actually build their entire content on the social networks. And that's just insanity. I mean, that's just. Unless it fits your business model. I mean, and that's right. the thing is, is like, yes, I completely agree with you. And 99% of the people I think we're talking to today, yeah. that's nuts. You yeah. know, don't do that. However, you know, there are certain business models where that's where people are and they're never going to go to the site. And if they're able to somehow sell something or get them to call a number or take some sort of CTA that you can set up on Facebook itself, mm-hmm. which they now have, mm-hmm. then you know, that would be the case for, okay, if it works for you. I mean, yeah. then do that. But for most people, boosting and sharing content that exists off their site and on your own property is the best case, particularly when it comes to all of the other advantages to that, which is other sources of traffic like search engines. And just yeah. for the listeners, when we say CTA, we mean call to action. Yes. So, so let's move towards the closing discussion, which is what are the actions a listener or a viewer can take to get started with their integrated marketing solutions and really take use it to take their business to the next level? I mean, some things that have already come out you know, in our conversation is start small, don't try and plunge into something, think about your brand, don't build your content on a social website unless it is absolutely warranted and you're the exception. But in most cases, you want to be building your house on your property, not on somebody else's. Mm -hmm. What other things that can a business take to really position themselves as well as possible to start off with online marketing Mm -hmm. and integrated marketing solutions? Yeah. So other than, you know, the things we already talked about, I would say, do your research to find out where your audience is. Where are they hanging out? Are they on Facebook? You know, is there a large crowd of people on Facebook? Are they on a different social network? Are they on a forum somewhere? Mm -hmm. So find out where they are and then start thinking about and testing different tactics there. Mm -hmm. And so if, if it ends up that the vast majority of people that you're targeting, uh, who are potential customers, whatever it might be, are on Facebook, then it's obvious you should Mm -hmm. be boosting content on Facebook. And if it ends up being that there is a particular blog or set of blogs where your target audience exists, you should be getting in contact with those site owners Mm -hmm. and you should be coming up with some sort of sponsorship. You don't need to come in and do some weird buying links or whatever. You don't need to do that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, not only will it probably get you in trouble, you just don't need to do that. Instead, sponsor it. See if you can become a regular writer. In mm-hmm. other words, if it's nobody wants guest bloggers anymore, see if you can become a contributor, like a true contributor. Like, I will give you free, awesome content. I won't spam your readers with all about me. I just want to buy lines so people know who I am. Mm-hmm. And try out their email list and try out having an ad on their blog to see if it works. Because what will happen is you'll end up being really surprised about you know a particular blog that ends up driving you a ton of traffic or a ton of sales. 
Mm-hmm. That's really, I think, the number one thing is where is your audience? And once you find them, find all the ways that you can engage w- with them. So that's what I would throw out. Another great tool, I think, to really get to understand your audience is to use something like the ask methodology that Ryan Levesque talks about, actually due to interview him soon. But he starts off fairly with a fairly broad question where he asks the audience, typically this would be via an email list, but he tries to get an understanding of where they're at. And then he you know, drills down a bit further and tries to get more of an understanding of where they are. So he works more on data than the notions. That is a classic mistake we all make, isn't it? We work on notions that we have about our audience and it's almost always wrong. It's almost always important to get hard data before you start making decisions. It's funny you even bring that up because it reminds me of what's going on at our company right now, which is up until the beginning of this year, We've always been more of like, I think we should build this. I think we should do that. And it's really gotten us in trouble. I mean, as far as overbuilding the product in some places and doing things that really weren't very well received, yet now it's in the system. And so one of the things that we did uh, in January is we switched over to a lean startup approach, which Mm -hmm. is all testing and metrics based. It's Mm -hmm. all based on being able to measure what, what do people really use and what do they not use? And if they don't use it, then maybe we shouldn't keep it in the system. It's you know where we thought that would be the greatest thing. Maybe it's not. So how do you know that? Well, build something that's minimally viable and kind of test it with some of your mm-hmm. customers and then just put it only for a few mm-hmm. and see how they interact with it. And if they like it, if they do, then do a little more with it mm-hmm. and get a little more feedback. And so that's kind of where we are now. And it completely applies to both in our case, building product, but also to basically, you know, bringing attention to yourself and selling things and testing advertising. Don't just go with your gut and either do a tactic or don't do a tactic because you don't think it's going to work or whatever. Hmm. You should at least try it once or don't do it and assume it's just the way that's what you should be doing. Because if you actually look at the data and the results, you're throwing money away and you right. should really look at doing something else. Very much an incremental approach, you know, test, see the results, test, see the results, yeah, test, see yeah. the results, and just, you know, take one step at a time, don't jump in. Okay. One thing you did mention was guest blogging, which has been a very contentious issue. Yeah. I try I to mention it carefully. I mean, like, as I said, it, I was like, <laughs> you know, it's how you go about it. But, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I just wanted to clarify that actually, because John Morrow, who is my mentor and I interviewed earlier on in this podcast as well. I learned a lot about guest blogging from him. And I remember when Matt Cutts said what he said about guest blogging being dead and, or, you know, guest blogging not being acceptable. I think he was sort of having a bit of a rant, but what I think he was really trying to say, and he did come back and sort of correct or clarify what he was saying. And that is the spamming guest blogging is dead, but if you're providing good quality content as a guest blogger, that is okay. And it's still a very valid strategy to build your brand. Right. And kind of what I was trying to get at was with the word contributor. I would say that if you can become a regular contributor, mm-hmm. that's the sweet spot. If it's for the right site and it's something where you're technically a contributor and you're doing more than just one article and they're on some sort of regular basis, and that could even be like once a quarter or something mm-hmm. like that. That's kind of that sweet spot. I think that's where you really pass the algorithm check in regards to that. Yeah. And then I think you're just kind of on a slightly riskier or there might be some level of risk if you're just going around trying to do one article on all these different places that could potentially trigger something and that that's really the concern but but I totally agree as far as what they were really going after was 
the unnatural, low quality, just stick something on as many sites as I can yeah. that will somehow link back to me and mention me. That's what they're really going after. But it's really easy to get a false positive with Google. And so you just have to be really, really careful. And that's why I like doing either less guest posts on higher quality sites less often or trying to find that regular contribution where it appears and is very legitimate. Right. Okay. Well, there's some really great takeaways from this podcast. I think the biggest and most important one is to don't plunge into anything. Think about things. Think about your brand. Take incremental steps and check for the results at every point. Don't, you know, proceed incrementally and keep getting feedback. Don't work off notions in your own mind. Cool. Well, that brings us to the end of the interview. So thank you very much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. No, I really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. Thank you. When you decide to take your business to the next level through good quality business coaching and actionable online strategies, head over to ProductiveInsights.com and book a free 30-minute consultation with me. Thanks for listening to the Productive Insights Podcast. You can find all the links in the show notes below this episode on ProductiveInsights.com. You can also ask questions in the comment section that Ash personally answers. How can Ash help you today?